I do want to say a special word of thanks to Dr. Gary Cockrell for preaching last week. If you haven't had the opportunity to hear that sermon, I'm going to encourage you to do that. I'm still, I'm still chewing on some things that the Lord said through him about how is it we need to be about, always be about, the Father's business, to see that in every facet of our life. So I'd encourage you to go back and, and to hear that again. And I love how gracious he was with y'all because I will tell you as Entering into the doctoral program at Wesley Biblical Seminary, and I've had Dr. Cockrell for several years, but he taught the first course. Let me just put it this way. After two years of classes, we sat around a table on our very last day of class. You know what we did? We pulled out our Dr. Cockrell papers and what he said in, in the margins. Have you even read your Bible? Are you even a Christian? That's not what he said, but that's what it sounded like. Because he's a tough teacher, uh, but when they came to get me out of my New Testament class, because my grandmother had passed away, uh, it was Gary Cockrell who went out in the hallway and wept with me and prayed over me. So a sweet man. So I'm so glad he was able to share with you all. And by the way, his daughter is Kate O'Donnell. And if you don't know Kate O'Donnell, she needs to be a part of your prayers because our church has supported the O'Donnells. Uh, she and David, you've heard them teach on Wednesday night, and they've been with us once. Uh, they're in Azerbaijan. Now, they don't talk about that a whole lot, but they begin to put it on their Facebook page. But that's a 97% Muslim country. It is an oppressive government with horrible human rights, and they're sharing the gospel there as missionaries. And our church has a hand in what they're doing in supporting them. So just continue. If you want to go on our website, you can look up Kate and uh, David O'Donnell. It's on our missions part of our page, and maybe that becomes... Uh, part, of, part of your prayer time. Whenever you give to our budget or give to missions, you're giving uh, to that. I saw on her Facebook post, the public one she can make, or it's a private group, excuse me. Uh, they've shared the gospel 369 times last year, had individual gospel presentations when if you say the gospel, you tell the gospel, you can be in real trouble. You heard me tell this story on them a year or so ago when it was either their home church or, Charlie, you can help me later, one of their churches that they're with, the first time a, a teenage, an older boy share, uh, said yes to Jesus Christ, he was praying about it, thinking about it, and the police came in that church and said, who in here is a Christian? And that's when he made his profession of faith. He stood up and said, I am. That's the environment they're in. So pray for the O'Donnells, and I pray you pray, pray continue to support our budget and mission for that. So... Here we are, back to this series, a series we've, I've never looked at before, but as, as we looked at the beginning of Mark's Gospels two years ago, that's how we started the year. As we've just sung, or as Blake beautifully sang for us, we just want to see Jesus. I, I want to start our year just looking at his, as Renee said, his wonderful life, his wonderful words. And so for the next several weeks, I don't know how long we're going to go, but we're just going to look at the end of Mark's gospel. Two years ago, we looked at how Jesus started well. We talked about the importance of first impressions, and you looked at his, we looked at his public ministry and saw what was key for him, what was important to him. Last year, we started our year looking at life in the middle. What do you do? What did he do when things are a little bit monotonous? What do you do when there's conflict everywhere when people are putting you in the middle. And that's what we looked at last year. What was life like for Jesus in the middle of his public ministry? And now we're at the end. I want you to just read 7 through 
chapter 10. That's what we're going to look at, the end of 7 all the way to chapter 10. How did Jesus finish his public ministry? I've got a coach for a father. I'm glad you played three quarters well. That's good. Got to finish. Eight innings, got to finish. A good first half, you've got to finish. And as we look at Jesus' life, we, we see him beautifully finish well. So if you have your Bibles, let's look at this passage together. And look at this miracle that's not necessarily a flashy miracle, to be honest. It's, and I don't like this word, but it's a little gross when you look, about, look at how he went about doing this miracle. But it, it, it tells us of a key thing, a key theme, a key point that Mark is saying over and over again through 7 through 10, and really all of Jesus's ministry. We see Jesus whenever there's a, a place of hurt, whenever there's somebody on the outs, Jesus is present and Jesus touches broken lives. Now we're going to get to the climax of Mark's gospel and realize and celebrate that Christ has come to be our ransom, that it's the cross that's before his eyes and, and, and in his steps of every move. Matter of fact, this move that he's making now to Jerusalem to give his life for us. But you see point after point after point, and this is one of them, if there's somebody who is on the outs, Somebody in need, somebody on the margins. Jesus can be interrupted and will touch their lives. Look at verse 32. They beg for him to do that. Touch this man. Heal this man. You don't really ask a rabbi to do that. If you remember some of the weird mythology, remember from John and Acts as well, you don't touch people who are sick. You just don't do that. You can make yourself unclean and really in their kind of weird understanding, and it's wrong doctrine, if they're sick, they probably have something spiritually going on wrong too. So rabbi, don't touch them. Just say a word. And by the way, Jesus can do that. So much of his miracles we'll talk about another time in Mark's gospel, just blast to us his authority and his power. That's not the heart of what's going on here though. But he can say it with just a word. He did it in chapter one. A word, somebody's freed from demonic oppression. Chapter 2, just a word, somebody gets up and they can walk. He could have just said a word. Why do you have to do what's done here? Matter of fact, our, the last sermon in this series last year, we looked at the woman who's got a child who's demon-possessed. Think about saying a word. She's far away. Jesus says a word, and when she gets back home, the child had been freed from that demon. Just a word. Just say a, a word. No, would you please touch him? And he does. That's what Jesus always does. That's, that's what he'll always do. Go back to chapter 1. Now think about this. Somebody who's a leper, and Jesus touched him. How about you? How would you feel if we said, we want to pray over somebody, we're going to be biblical, we're going to lay hands on that person, would you come touch this leper? And then you get to chapter 5, and it's two other no-nos in Scripture. You've got a woman with a blood issue for over a decade, and she touches him, and he says, you can't touch me, I'm a rabbi, now you've made me unclean. It's not what he does. She's healed, and he encourages her in his faith. And then also, he was on his way to, to, to raise Jairus' daughter from the dead. She's dead. You don't touch a corpse. You don't have anything to do with that. You're going to make yourself ceremonially unclean. 
And the little girl, get up. And he touches her. It's just like Jesus throughout Mark's gospel, and you see it here too, even if it's awkward, and we'll get to that in a minute, even if it's people say, oh, don't do that, Jesus is going to touch brokenness. When I served at uh, McGee Methodist Church, uh, it was during the time of Katrina, and so we partnered with Long Beach, where your former pastor Jim Genesee was the pastor at Long Beach. We partnered with that church, and starting the first week, we started sending, just like you all did, started sending mission teams routinely to that church uh, to help them, to bless them, to go wherever they needed us to go. And I think it was the second or third church we went to. It had been about a week, week and a half after Katrina uh, they sent us to a house that was just on the border of, I think, Long Beach and Gulfport. Apparently, a boat that had been carrying chickens had turned over. And I, I, I can't even describe for you what 90 to 100 degree heat for a week and a half beating down on those dead chicken. I can't begin to tell you what that smelled like, but it was horrific. And we worked there all day, but the debris, if some of y'all went down there, the debris in yards, not in the streets, they clean those, but the debris, especially where we were there, right on the coast, was probably a foot to two feet high of just leaves and stuff. And so you're just kind of walking through trying to get to the house or to the backyard to clean it up. And every once in a while, chicken, chicken. We were there and broke for lunch, and somebody came with the, uh, the heartbreaking news. They had found a body that day in Long Beach. And so what triggers in your mind? There's still people out here. You want to talk about awkward. You want to talk about unsettling. So much of what Jesus does, he just cuts through all that stuff. And says, where is a need and let me put my hands on that need. This, this, this ministry of presence, this ministry of touch. And you see it here. And look, this is, again, this is hard for us to read. What does he do? First, he puts his fingers in his ears. There's so much I hated about junior high. Right? Y'all, who, who would want to do that? Who would want it done to them? We Guys do that thing all the time. This is, you read this and go, why'd you have to do that? You could have said a word. Why would you do something as awkward as fingers in someone's ear? But it, it gets worse. He touched the man's tongue. That can't be right. Let's, yeah. What a picture, as Renee said, of a wonderful Savior and the lengths he would go to say, this, this is healed. This, this is going to be healed. And God himself is touching you and your need, breaking through all those things that might have put him on the outs, all that awkwardness, all that there may be something wrong with you spiritually if you've got this in your life. I'm going to put my hands on you. And he finishes well doing that throughout this gospel. You see it again in chapter 8 when you get to Bethsaida. Uh, he, he, he grabs, uh, he touches eyes, he touches ministry. And then the end, and I wish somebody would paint this. 
we see so many good pictures of, of Jesus with children. And it's that demon-possessed boy. And he's been wrestling with this since childhood. He's been hurting himself, throwing himself down, convulsions. And, and Jesus not only frees him, but then picks him up, grabs that boy. Where people say, oh, no, not yet. He's got to stay away for something. Give me that boy and get up. It's just like Jesus to go to where there are hurts and needs and to put his hands on that. And that's, that's partly why I think, um, as Renee said, they, they went crazy about it. Not just the incredible miracle, but look, look what's happened and look what Jesus will do for us. It's a, it's a good word for us to, 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 to have our eyes always open, right? Open my eyes, Lord, to the need around me. We've already seen in our, in our opening hymn that, that Jesus is speedy when there's needs. That he'll, he'll race to where there are hurts. So church, where, where is it you and I need to go? Who is it that, that the Lord's directing us to so, we, so we, can, we can have that ministry of presence and that ministry of touch. Jesus stays on target, but anytime there's a need, Jairus' daughter, the woman with the blood issue, he can be interrupted and say, how, how can I bless? How can I heal? How can your, your schedule be different? Can it be interrupted? We had a great Christmas, and our kids came back. Two of our boys came back Christmas Day. Our daughter was already with us, and then uh, we were blessed. Both of our parents are nearby, so we were able to see Sarah's parents and my parents. And when we got to my parents' house, middle of Christmas Day, my dad got a phone call, and I could tell he was tearing up getting that call. And that's, that's not a good call to get. Who's calling on Christmas and why is... My dad's Vietnam vet, football coach, tough guy, right? He might have cried for an Eagles loss one year in Philly, but, you know, you just don't see my dad cry. And... Uh, he starts tearing up, and I was like, what's the bad news? It was Matt's house, women's shelter through Stewpot Ministry. I didn't know this, and I wouldn't have ever known it, but Dad went down there with his famous, world-famous banana pudding and some other treats for those women on Christmas Eve. My Christmas Eve is open. Lord, what would you have me do? There's going to be women in that shelter that are going to be forgotten, and I'm going to go down there and load them up. And so they were calling on Christmas Day to say, that banana pudding is a hit. <laughs> Thank you, Mr. Mail. And this tough, tough dude is weeping like a baby because his ministry of touch mattered. Your ministry of presence, our ministry of touch matters. Some of you in this room were with, with, with a couple of us on Friday where we got to go down to the, the Habitat Recycle Home that this church worked on, not just for a weekend, but several people went down on other weeks to work on that house. I was blessed to go and hold ladders. I think I nailed a few things in. I don't have skills. But to watch you guys rip out that bathroom and put in a new, all the things that were done, all the sweat in that house, probably some of our bloods in that house. If you've given to the budget, your dollars are in that house. That Harris family is blessed because a church said, and other churches, we, we, we went with five other Methodist churches to do this, um, the ministry of touch matters and the ministry of presence matters. How is it that the Lord's calling you to 
keep your eyes open. Not just open, but to be expectant. Then in my busyness, with I know with all of our tasks and our responsibilities and racing to the next thing, ooh, there's a woman with a blood issue. Ooh, yes, they're begging for me to touch this person and be available. You and your touch and your presence matters. As we go through this series, I not only want to hit one big key thing, uh, a, a large theme for Mark, and what we see is Jesus finishes well and is consistent in this, but I also want to look at maybe some smaller things that we may miss. And these, these aren't the main things, but they are worthy of our attention. So I, I want us to look at uh, this word uh, that is shared by Jesus when he does this miracle, looking at verse 34. When the one who is the word of God speaks, if you have, you know, some of us have those Bibles where it's in red letters, right? But typically we get the English version. But every once in a while, you'll get what we believe that Mark wrote or other gospel writers wrote, and it's not the Greek, it's, it's the Aramaic, the language that Jesus said. Now, you want to know why, he did that, why they do that? I don't know. I don't know, but I wonder. I want you to hear exactly what he said. This is what everybody's been telling me is Mark is gathering this from Peter and other disciples as Luke is gathering that or John or Matthew who are present. I want you to hear how he said it, what he exactly said, because it's that kind of miracle back in chapter five, Talitha Kumi, little girl, you can get up. I'm not translating that to the Greek. I want you to hear it just like he said it. Maybe it's that. Maybe it's the same thing here. Or I want you to know, which is one of the more heartbreaking scriptures in all of, all of the Bible, Eloi, Eloi. This is what he cried on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And so maybe that's why these New Testament writers, by the leading of the Holy Spirit, give us these pictures into the language, give us these pictures into Jesus. And it makes sense to me because you and I know the power of one word, the power of two words. For Jonah, it was five. Remember that sermon? You wish I preached like that. Five-word sermon. And all of Nineveh repents. Five words in Hebrew. And everybody turns back or turns to God. It's the power of a word that the Spirit's put in your life. It's the power of sharing a scripture, one word. You and I know the power of saying something once and people holding on to it. I'm going to look you in the eye and say, I know it's true with your, with your kiddos. You have no idea the things that your children have told us on these steps. <laughs> you said them once at home. I hear what I heard what you said up here. I've got some stories. It'll be in a book. I'll cover your names. I won't. Just the power. You hear something once, you never forget it. My wife was teaching a kindergarten class at one of our past. It wasn't this church for real. It wasn't this church, but was teaching a kindergarten class, and I'll never forget this, this word. Somebody had brought up, Sarah didn't bring it up, but the, somebody in the class had talked about, is the devil real? And immediately, this K-5 boy says, oh yes, I know the devil's real because he's living in my sister. 
I may have kept arm's length from that little girl for the, my, the rest of my ministry there. Right? I've always, because the power of hearing that story, I never forgot it. Y'all, I think back. I, I bumped at the Habitat house the other day. I bumped into somebody I went to high school with, and she knew me before I knew Jesus. <laughs> I think, oof, what was I saying in junior high? The power of a word to crush or to bully or to make somebody feel small or a word. I want you to hear this word. I want you to hear what Jesus said exactly like he said it because the power of that word to heal, the power of that word to encourage. There have been people who have spoken those words into my life. Even recently, some of you. I've spoken a word. I'm not going to forget those, those words. They're going to be a part of my healing and my, my encouragement. I don't know why we get these two or three instances in Mark of the original language, but, but, but I think that's part of it, the impact of a word. This week, as part of your ministry of touch and presence, could you also touch somebody's life with a word? A word that they're going to hold on to for years. So we look at Jesus' life, going down to verse 37. The passage concludes by saying Jesus did everything well. He's finishing well. His ministry of touch, his ministry of presence, he's finishing well. We're January 9th. I'm not going to ask you how your New Year's resolutions are going. We're nine days in, but I bet there's already at least some struggle with those. We're towards the end, moving towards the end of this three-year public ministry, and the comment is he's doing everything well. He's finishing well. How is it you and I need to run in such a way that we get the prize? We finish well with a ministry of touch, a ministry in the, I know the chaos and the, the frenetic nature of our schedules, but being available for people to be present, to carve that out, to build out some margin in our lives so we can be available to people and even to say, and this is hard, it's one thing to be like Christ. It's something else to actually speak up for Christ. Can you say a word? Will you say a word? Let's pray about that. Father, we thank you for what we're seeing of your son in this passage, but throughout this gospel of his, of his heart for others, not just his authority and his power to heal, but the ways in which he, he gives of himself to people who are hurting, to people who are on the outs. Lord Jesus, we praise you. For, for you loved us like that. When we were lost in sin, you had given yourself for us, and it is our prayer that is we are your disciples, that we would follow your lead, that we would finish well by being present with those in need, to touch their hurts. And would you also, by your Holy Spirit, prompt us and give us the very word we could speak that could be a word of encouragement or a word of healing. And we'll give you the praise for that, and it is in your name that we pray this prayer. Amen.